that you have considered us, that you have determined in your, in your will to bring us out of darkness into light. And we thank you for, again, how you uh, open your word to us. Uh, and we do pray, Lord, that you would open this word, that we would uh, be given understanding, uh, that we might uh, do and say those things which glorify you. And we pray this all in Christ's name. Amen. Okay, we are in 1 Corinthians. And we are, have made it to chapter 4. And I'm going to uh, be looking at verses 1 through 13. And then next time we'll try to pick up the, the rest of the chapter. Uh, this is a chapter, as, as many are, <laughs> that uh, sort of have a comprehensive message to them, and yet also can be broken down into a lot of small studies uh, in of themselves. And I sort of like them trying to walk in between that um, and uh, deal with uh, enough of the section to keep us moving, and, and yet clearly not going into all the detail that's possible to go into. So with that little bit of introduction, let's hear God's word from 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning verse 1. Let a man so consider us servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. But with me... It is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this. But he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsel of the hearts. Then each one's praise will come from God. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sake, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against another. For who makes you differ from another? And what do you have that you do not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us, and indeed I wish you could, or wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death, for we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ, we are weak. But you are strong, you are distinguished. 
but we are dishonored. To the present hour, we both hunger and thirst, and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless, being persecuted, we endure, being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. So, obviously, there, are, there is a lot in this passage and a lot to consider. The first thing I want you to notice, though, is we're still dealing with the issue that was raised in chapter 1 regarding the Corinthians aligning themselves with various men. Some saying, I am of Apollos, some saying, I am of Cephas, some saying, I am of Paul, and even some saying, I am of Christ. And that's probably the, the most peculiar one because we think, wait a minute, we are of Christ. Uh, certainly we are of Christ. Uh, why is that uh, such a bad thing? What they had done is they had, they had a uh, certain doctrines that they associated with Christ that were actually uh, rooted in themselves. And so what they were saying when they said, I am of Christ, was not speaking as one who was truly speaking of Christ in the Trinity as revealed in the scriptures. But rather they had aligned themselves uh, in such a way that they were making judgments. And we're going to see, as we look through this, and I'll just point out one verse that uh, is of particular significance regarding this, and that is where he says that there are things that, where, where they have stopped listening to the word of God. And I'm missing it here. Uh, It's, I think it's verse 9, right? No. I will come to it for sure. Just put that one on hold. It's, it's just, it's almost, it's almost hidden that you can't see it. There it is. It is verse 6. Yes, it's the end of verse 6, Okay that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written. What was written? The Old Testament, okay? And to that end, I just want to read, and this is the, the commentary who took exception to Calvin as we discussed the other day regarding straw and so forth. Um, and he says something pretty profound, and, and I didn't even really pick up completely on this, uh, particularly the way he does. He says, 
anyone who boasts against the commandment of God revealed in the scriptures must come to a spirit of pride against the brothers. Let him learn from the example of Paul and Apollos to submit to the scriptures. But the reverse is also true in exhorting the Corinthians to act properly toward Paul and his helpers, the apostle warns against pride in general. And he uses this opportunity to warn also against other sin, already reproved, namely the sin of holding in contempt the Old Testament. Let me read that again. Holding the sin of holding in contempt the Old Testament. So what they were doing was, this tells us a little bit about how they identified Christ. Christ is the new covenant. The old covenant, the old teachings, the Old Testament doesn't have anything to do with us now. Okay, so they throw out more than the baby with the bathwater. Okay, they, they throw out the majority of scripture that's given to us uh, and, and seeing it as, as a separation. But I think that, that uh, and by the way, this is, I think it's F.W. Uh, Grosscheid, or Grosscheid, I don't know if he would use Grosscheid or Grosscheid, but he is a Netherlands dude uh, who wrote the commentary for the new uh, international version. When they, when they produced that, then there was a whole series of commentaries that were developed. Tim. Uh, that's very likely, yes. Absolutely. Yeah. Throwing out the Old Testament. So what did dispensationalism do? Is it... it, it basically breaks all of life down into seven categories of time. And, and of course, the one dispensation, one of them is the garden, and, okay? And I won't even try to go through all the other ones, but the, one of the divisions of those dispensations is obviously the 400 years and then the coming of Christ. And what they do is they don't see a connection, they see the, this is a whole new time period. And, um, and actually, it's kind of odd because the church is the last dispensation, and yet they go back to the New Testament, <laughs> if you would. So it's, it's really not very consistent. Jane. Uh, we have to be careful with it. If somebody just says, we're a New Testament church, we definitely need to ask what they mean by it. Um, because I can see how somebody would say, we're a New Testament church, but they really mean uh, more along the lines of a New Covenant church. And the New Covenant is, there, there, there's a strong case that can be made that the New Covenant began in the garden. <laughs> okay. The project, the, 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 when Christ said that he will, uh, uh, that, that basically Satan will, will 
uh, crush his heel, and, but he will crush his head. Uh, that is really unfolded throughout the rest of the scriptures. Bobby. Right. That's right. And even when we speak of Christ, there, that we can, we can, uh, we can, yeah, we can speak separately of the Holy Spirit. We can speak separately of Christ. We can speak, speak separately of the Father because we have three persons. It's it's not a logical connection than to say they're one, but they are. And uh, so, yes. Um, so back to the passage. So in this passage, there's several things that Paul is addressing. And again, we, we're not going to be exhausted by any means with this. But the first section, first couple of verses is speaking about Paul as a servant and a steward. And we want to think about that a little bit. And then as a steward and as a servant, uh, we're going to look at this notion of human judgment. And why is it that we have uh, a, a different, I guess, a kind of approach to judgment um, as a believer, particularly? And, and what is Paul talking about when he says, uh, basically, he should not be judged by a human court? Because we know he goes before Rome. In fact, he appeals to Rome because of his Roman citizenship. And so um, we know he's not, not mindful, if you would, of that. So we want to understand that. Um, and I actually went to my third point on this, which is the scriptures themselves. And that we should, the setup for that phrase is essentially that not to think more highly of yourselves than you ought. Um, and then uh, the, uh, I want to think about also as we consider that admonishment from Paul, uh, what is the basis of his, that, his admonishments? And really, it goes all the way back to the beginning of the chapter. But what is, what is it that may allows Paul to speak with such authority against what these Corinthians are doing? Because what they're doing is wrong. Paul's saying, hey, there's no question here, guys. You're messing up. And then, again, just to think a little bit more about what it means to be a servant, to be a steward. And what does that life look like? So just to begin with, let's go back to verse 1 and 2. Um, Let a man so consider us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required in stewards that one be found faithful. 
So what does this say to us about a minister? And is it, is it fair to say um, that as a servant of Christ, as Paul was a servant of Christ, that our present-day ministers should have the same regard? That's a question. So what's the question? The question is, it talks, Paul says, that we, or that he, let a man so consider us, that's supposed to be the hint there, us, as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. So you have a servant and a steward, and that's their definition. Okay? Who is that? Who is a servant and a steward as Paul's describing? Okay. Okay. But that doesn't mean that, that there isn't a, dis- a difference between apostolic <laughs> authority and the authority of the church. Absolutely. Totally agree with that. Yeah. So, any other thoughts? Are you a steward? Yes, I hope so. <laughs> you are, yes. Who's he speaking to? The Corinthians, okay? You, why is he speaking to these Corinthians? Because they, they had all these divisions, okay? They were all going after their favorite person. In some cases, it was the person that baptized them, and they just, they just yes, 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 yes. That was the mind. And Paul's talking to them. He says, let a man so consider us. At a minimum, he's talking about us as himself and Apollos. Okay? So I think the answer to the question, is this ministers or is it members or is it deacons, especially only deacons? I think it's probably only deacons. Um, No, it's, it's, it is inclusive of everyone, but there is a different level for a pastor, and there is a different level for, for members, okay? And that is rooted in our knowledge of the scriptures. Because one of the things that Paul's very clear about, if we're not speaking from the scriptures, we're speaking from ourselves, we miss the boat. And this whole concept of being a servant of Christ is as being a slave. But the second part of it is being stewards. That means we've been given his word. We have been given the gospel. We've been given the scriptures. We've been given the doctrines. We've been given the authority even within the church to exercise among ourselves to hold each other accountable. All of these things are about stewardship. Okay, so we, as we learn, one of the painful things of learning the scriptures is we become the stewards of that. 
we become stewards of the knowledge that God has given us. And we have to be very careful how we exercise that, how we regard it, how we pass it on. So verse 3, but with me is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by a human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I know of nothing against myself, yet I am not justified by this, but he who judges me is the Lord. I think today I've not seen more confusion about the word judgment. Okay, I have seen it driven to the ground that all we do is judge, and on the other hand is nobody can judge. Okay, and what Paul is saying here is he doesn't judge himself. Well, what's judging him? The Lord. How does the Lord judge you? In Christ, do we have any help? We have the scriptures. The scriptures are the thing, very thing he's going to refer to later. And the Holy Spirit. Okay? But our, so when we judge, if we're judging because I think we're probably wrong. Okay, and as I learned in my romper room days, you know, that number. He says, verse 5, Therefore judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes, or until the day of the Lord. If you go to the Greek, that's how it reads. Until the Lord comes, who will bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsel, counsels of the hearts. Now that's one I was never really comfortable with because I know my own sin and I certainly know my propensity when I put myself forward, um, what my heart is thinking before the words come out of my head. And, and that's, that is, in a sense, a scary thing. But notice the context that it's given here. The next sentence is, then each one's praise will come from God. Because God has taken my sin. Okay? So my sin is judged already. It's been put to death in Christ. And so that counsel of the heart, even that as it is revealed, even our thoughts as they are revealed, are also uh, put in uh, the blood of Christ, the death of Christ, and have been judged. But nonetheless, there will be a clear understanding there will be an opening, if you would, of our minds and our hearts before God. 
And so verse 6, now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sake, your sakes, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against another. And, you know, this is one of those passages that I feel it, it can't help but to come home because we are so inclined to make judgments about others and to put ourselves in a place that we don't belong, that we don't have the authority, that we don't have even the right, if you would, But in the scriptures, that's where it's, thus saith the Lord, except instead of saith, for us, it's what he said <laughs> and still applies, <laughs> okay? And so that is how we uh, speak to one another. But as soon as we begin to think of it coming out of ourselves, we're immediately puffed up. I love that term it, because it, it, it really, what, what, what happens to a balloon when you puff it up? This is a real science question now. Okay. It gets bigger. <laughs> and we all can see it, okay? And the more we puff it up, the bigger it gets and the more in the face. And we can't get around it. Okay? And especially if you're talking about one of those balloons they float around up in the air, they're, they're huge. Okay? And they're puffed up. They're full of hot air. That's exactly what Paul is saying here. And when we do that, we lose sight completely of the scriptures. We lose sight of even our own salvation. And we forget what we are. We're nothing special. I would love to be able to stand up here like some of the pop preachers and just tell everybody here how special you are. You're just such a wonderful person. But that's not what the scriptures say. I would love to be able to do it, truly. But I have to read the scriptures. So let's go on. So here's the admonishment. So we've talked about steward, being a servant, being a steward. We're a steward of God's word, of the message of the gospel. And now we're looking at this uh, admonishment. And why? We need this admonishment. So again, I'll, I'll pick up back in 6 to put it in context here. Now these things, brethren, I have figuratively transferred to myself and Apollos for your sake, that you may learn in us not to think beyond what is written, that none of you may be puffed up on behalf of one against another. For who makes you differ from another? 
What did you, or what do you have that you did not receive? Now, if you did indeed receive it, why do you boast as though, or as if you had, had not received it? Some pretty hard, hard questions. Okay. What makes you differ? What makes you so special? What do you have that you didn't receive? By grace, is implied here, by the way. Not of works, lest any man should boast. And indeed, if you did receive it as a gift, how can you possibly boast that you got it by your own will? That's what he's saying. Verse 8. Every admonishment needs to also have a correction with it. If we admonish somebody and we don't give them the other side of it, we miss the mark. You are already full. You are already rich. You have reigned as kings without us. And indeed, I could wish you did reign, that we also might reign with you. They have everything they need. Okay? In other words, from 6 to 8, Paul's saying, put down your guns. Okay? We don't, we're not, they're not in a place to be exercising the discipline that they thought they were doing. And they are missing the fact that God has made every provision for them that they need. And as Paul has, done, has uh, obeyed as a servant, as a steward, he had a certain experience. He had a certain life. And here it is, verse 9. For I think that God has displayed us, the apostles, last, as men condemned to death. For we have been made a spectacle to the world, both to angels and to men. Paul's not expressing pride here, is he? Paul's saying that there was a cost to becoming a servant. There was a cost to becoming uh, a steward. He says in verse 10, we are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are distinguished, but we are dishonored. To the present hour we both hunger and thirst and we are poorly clothed and beaten and homeless. And we labor working with our own hands, being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we endure. Being defamed, we entreat. We have been made as the filth of the world, the offscouring of all things until now. When is the now? 
in Christ, right? So he's, Paul has an experience of life, of being beaten down, of being literally the offscouring of the world, and that world, I believe that world is cosmos and could even go beyond. He's saying angels even have witnessed these things, that they've had the appearance of fools for Christ. Does he believe he was a fool for Christ? No. Does the world believe he was a fool? Yes. And they brought those kinds of accusations against him. And it's very possible the Corinthians themselves were saying this, the ones who were for Apollos. Paul's a fool. He, he, he's, he's not very wise, and he's a weak speaker for sure. Okay? Probably doesn't even know how to ride a horse the right way. You know? They had issues with them, problems with them, problems, more problems, more problems. Okay? And I'm going to actually stop there, and we're going to pick this up next week. <laughs> okay. But where's it going? Where's it going? Right, so they're in an exalted state. Even though they're experiencing this, they're in an exalted state now. Exactly. And, and the, the key to that is that the judgment doesn't come from me. Because there's something very significant about where he says, um, speaks of that, that, um, that it, it does come from us. And, and this, this whole idea that um, again, these people were 
aligning themselves with certain leaders, and then they were turning around, and based on that, they were judging. Okay, they weren't going back to the scriptures to see what the scriptures said, what the scriptures taught regarding these things. Even, and when I say going back to the scriptures, I'm talking about the fullness of the scriptures. So the scriptures have a lot of very significant detail about salvation, about how we're converted, about how we understand these things. But scripture also has um, a broader scope as well. And so we have to account for the scriptures and what it teaches when we are seeking to put ourselves in a position we're telling someone else um, you know that you have a, have a problem uh, That's right. And Paul is going to give us an immediate example of it. Because chapter 5, he's going to, I'll read the first verse, it is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and sexual immorality as it is not even named among the Gentiles. Okay? So, is that a judgment? Yes. Absolutely. He's definitely going in that direction. And Paul's going to give some very straight responses regarding how to deal with it. But Paul totally disqualified himself as a personal judge before he does this. And if you notice, there was a big difference there, right, in even the way my judgment or the scripture's judgment, okay? That's, that's really what it amounts to. When it becomes my judgment, we're off, okay? And so one final thing, and that is just, uh, just in terms of application. Um, one of the things that's really difficult with this is 
there is a tremendous pride that immediately steps in when we find ourselves being in that place where we're judging another, really based on ourselves and not on the scriptures. And I would say even that pride is often formed in very small corners. Okay? It's usually we start out with a really good, quote unquote, intention. But as soon as we deviate and begin to make judgments, not only judgments, but even how we communicate those judgments, away from what were, what were the instruction of scripture, um, we really confuse things. And that little bit of pride begins to grow. And even though it is a, uh, I, I, I guess I, I just want to say, you know, I speak of pride, and Paul speaks of pride, but it's not always real clear to us when we're operating out of pride. And so we really need to have our ears open to our brothers and sisters in Christ to come alongside of us and say, let's go back to the scriptures. Okay? We, we, we need that. We need that among ourselves. So I'm out of time, so let's close in a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, we do thank you for the power of the gospel. We thank you for your word as it is revealed in the Old Testament and in the New. We pray, Lord, that you would guide and direct us as we live our lives, as we live as servants, as we live as stewards, that uh, we might uh, glorify you and all that we say and do. Again, we ask your blessing on our pastor as he brings us your word that you would, uh, again, encourage us uh, in the truth and uh, encourage him uh, that he may speak boldly that truth. And we ask, again, your blessing in Christ's name. Amen.